I think we tend to put very scary analogies on money as if worst case scenario, all your money going down a toilet or burning in a fire, you know, but it's a lot more fun when you think of it as a video game. And then if something tough comes up, it's like, oh, well, it's just a really hard level of the video game. I know whenever I figure out how to beat this boss, you know, how you have the boss at the end of each level. It's like, oh, yeah, it's going to be good past this point. It's been really cool playing chess in a different way in business form. You are listening to the Not For Lazy Marketers podcast, episode number 423. All right, everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Today is one of our interview series for this series on the podcast, and I have a very special guest, Haley Burkhead, who is a friend of mine. We've been friends for a while and we're like virtual friends and then we got to do in-person things because she lives in Texas. She's also an agency client at Hirsch Marketing and I wanted to bring her on because she is a CEO that I respect so much and is so transparent on, you know, for her following in the entrepreneur journey and, you know, the struggles and that's really what I'm trying to highlight in this series and, and share those things with entrepreneurs who have built multiple seven-figure businesses and Haley has investments and all these things, but she also transparently shares about that journey. So I get to bring that for you guys here today. Welcome, Haley. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here, Emily. Yay. Well, before we dive in, if you want to give a quick recap of you and, and what you do, who you serve, and maybe just like a little story of your how you got started, your journey. I know you're young. We're both young together. And mm-hmm. um, if you want to share that, I think that everybody would appreciate that. Yeah. So I'm Haley. If we haven't met, I basically I run Recurring Profit. So I'm the creator and leader of Recurring Profit. It is an, an online experience. It's like a mentorship, 12-month mentorship where you can come in and take a course or membership all the way from idea or built, doesn't matter, uh, to all the way up to 100K months. That's kind of the goal. So the starter is 10K months. You'll have an automated sales system. My specialty is automation and psychology. Like if we are talking love languages, I could talk about those two things all day long. I love it. So automation, self psychology, and recurring profit. How I got started, I was actually a fashion blogger at, to pay for college. I would go to Goodwill and then I would go flip clothes on my fashion blog basically and do affiliate links and modeling and stuff. And then I figured out, oh, I really love coding. And I turned my web design passion into a service-based business, which turned into a six-figure agency. And then I burnt myself out and went the membership route and scaled that to half a million in six months and then built recurring profit. And I've focused on recurring profit for the past three years solid. That's all we've done. We dropped everything else. And my entire team is just focused on that. And it has been incredible. Like so much fun. Yeah. I didn't know you had a coding background. I need Mm -hmm. you in my software. (laughs) That's actually such a valuable skill. (laughs) Oh, I'm probably outdated by now. (laughs) That is so funny. I love it. Yeah. And you also have other, I love how you have other investments and you showcase Mm -hmm. expanding your wealth as you've grown while still staying focused in your business, which I think is really cool. Something I could do better at for sure. Yeah. Yeah, building wealth, it's, I view it almost as a video game. You know, I think we tend to put very scary analogies on money 
as if worst case scenario, like all your money going down a toilet or burning in a fire, you know, but it's, it's a lot more fun when you think of it as a video game. And then if something tough comes up, it's like, Oh, well, this is just a really hard level of the video game. But I know whenever I figure out how to beat this boss, you know, how you have the boss at the end of each level. It's like, Oh yeah, it's going to be good past this point. So that's just kind of the way I think about it. And it's been really cool playing chess in a different way in business form and viewing it as if this is my painting, this is me creating art, but it's in spreadsheets and a lot of moving money around. Yeah, it really is an art and and a game at the end of the day. I think that that could help a lot of people just looking at it that way and removing that like emotion and panic that comes up when you can build a business. You have to remove that, especially if you wanna get to those next levels where the pressure just increases for sure. So I want to dive in with you. What I what I want to focus on for everybody is like the transparent of growing a business. And you've grown a successful multiple seven-figure business. You have a team. I know we've had lots of side conversations around the struggles and especially the last couple of years in the digital marketing space. And I just feel like not enough people share that reality and they create this like scenario that doesn't exist and then people go into it and they're really disappointed that they didn't have this you know highlight reel experience that doesn't exist so i'm curious from your perspective of the beginning and then going through the team building and the automation of your business and being able to leave and go on maternity leave and like build the dream what do you think are a couple of the like key challenging parts that you just had no idea going into it that you're like i wish somebody told me this before i got to this place yeah i think that a lot of people talk about the role ceo ceo are you the ceo of your business and then i have don't think i've really heard the phrase cmo come around at all. And so basically that means if you're the CEO, you're also responsible for your business revenue, which isn't actually what the CEO does, but you know, we label it as that. So I think that's definitely a challenge that no one talks about and being the face of a brand on top of that. So for instance, you know, I'm the face of the brand, but and I was in charge of all the revenue strategy, how to get leads, all that kind of stuff. And yeah, you out, you hire Hirsch Marketing, right? They do Facebook ads. You do that, but that doesn't mean you're still not respect. You still have to manage the Facebook ads agency. You still have to show up to the meetings. Otherwise, I think your Facebook ads manager would be like, what the crap? <laughs> where did she go? Yeah. You know, or, or him or them, whatever. Like, where did they go? And that's important. So I, I think that there needs to be more of a conversation less around getting out of operations, mm-hmm. which honestly happens naturally as your business grows, you, you upgrade people and more of a conversation around outsourcing revenue generation. And it's going to take so much more pressure off your plate. Like right now, for instance, in my business, I go to two meetings a month for recurring profit and my team runs the rest of it. And mm-hmm. so, and, and we're doubling the business this year, but I go to two meetings a month. I go strategy. I have quarterly strategy meetings and that's all I'm involved in. Yeah. And it's been, they want it that way. Yeah, <laughs> They're excited because it's, now recurring profit, the business becomes their playground. And my job is to deliver a spreadsheet and help strategize the gaps twice a month. And that's it. Yeah. How, so let's talk about how you got there because that took you, how long have you been building your team to the point where you are that removed? Oh, oh, oh yeah. I'm years, here. right? <laughs> four, four years. Exactly. Four years. Not, not yeah. like even six months, not no. even 
one year. So four years to get there. Do you feel like you went into the team building thing where you were like, this is going to be really hard? Or did you have the expectation that like, okay, they're hired. Now I can just pass it off and it's going to be easy and I'll be able to be (laughs) in that passive place really soon. So the thing about me is I think nothing is hard until I'm crying. So that is something. I think it's a strength and a weakness. My ignorance is such a strength, but it also sucks when I get disappointed, you know? Mm -hmm. So I've learned to not attach anything to anything. You know, don't attach any feeling or emotion to anything in business. Like a person, I got really wrapped up in people. I like fell in love with people and then they had to be fired. It was, was but how I got there. Yeah. I would say I hired a bunch of people and I made a lot of leadership mistakes Yeah, and I learned off the back end of those mistakes. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those mistakes ended up with me firing them. And at the beginning, it was my fault. It wasn't yeah. their fault. It right. was terrible onboarding. It was um, <laughs> me managing them. Yeah. Listen, if you're a visionary, you shouldn't be in management because right. here's what happens. You get a team member in and you think of the best ideas, like the best ideas. And then you get so excited. But in business, that's so isolating. So who do you have to tell? And you go tell your team. You're like, what if we did this? Oh my gosh, this is such a good idea. So distracting. Yeah. And they're like, oh my God, I can't even handle what I have on my plate. What is this lady crazy? (laughs) I know. They're like, I don't even know what this next task is today. And now my boss is telling me this. And (laughs) And they take it so literal. They're like, now I need to go start doing this to keep them happy. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And they do. And then it's, they're like, oh, well, I halfway finished this project because you mentioned that. And it's not tied to metrics. It's tied to how you feel in the moment. And that was very tough. And and here's what I also think is it talked about enough in business. Let's talk about how you feel in the moment. When you're not fulfilled in life, you use business as fulfillment, hands down, every time. I see Mm -hmm. this over and over. And by over and over, I also mean in my own business in life, I can say this from definite experience is my husband was always gone uh, when he was a football coach. I mean, never home. And so people would ask, like, are you married? And I would always laugh and say, not really, but I guess like legally. Yes, but I never see him. And Mm -hmm. it was a joke, but it also wasn't a joke. And I was in a town where I didn't have friends because he moved. We ended up having to move to a very isolating town and I wasn't fulfilled in life at all. And so I use business as a fulfillment for happiness, for just those, what do you call it? Dopamine or serotonin? I forget which chemical, the happiness chemical. Yeah, I think it's dopamine. Yeah, Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, dopamine hits. And that's what I was doing, which was super distracting for my team. I would, it was, it was just distract. I was a very distracting person and it was constantly bouncing around to find something I could hold on to and be happy with. And I think a lot of people do that and maybe not at the level I did, but at some level. And, and that's where you make business decisions off of emotions when Mm -hmm. really what's the purpose of business? A business is is designed to help someone, right? Anyone Mm -hmm. that pays you is designed to help them. So that's great. You're moving the world in a better direction just by existing. It's also meant to fuel your lifestyle goals and financial goals and to help everyone on your team feel secure financially too, of course. But I was viewing it as therapy. Yeah, right. (laughs) Not therapy as in I was discovering what was wrong. Therapy as in just um, bad habit galore. Well, and it can become like a distraction from your real life 
problems sometimes I think and then it's like I've been in that place too where I've had like something personal going on and it's like well as long as I'm working I'm fine but the second I'm done working I'm not fine and so I'll just keep working (laughs) because that's a distraction so I I for sure have experienced that same thing so with with the growth over four years what I'm kind of also hearing you say is I feel like and I know you so I know you and how you respond to things and I think one of the biggest things is like you don't give up like the grit of like when you had those experiences where you had I remember one conversation where you're like I just feel like my whole team like it's terrible and I don't know what to do and I've hired all the wrong people and you've been in those places where it's like you probably wanted to be like screw this like I can't handle this but you didn't and you pushed through and I feel like especially for us young solo bootstrapped entrepreneurs like the best way to learn is just don't be afraid to fail and like just go out there and just try your best and you're gonna figure it out if it works or not and then you just keep going and you go at a fast pace and you don't wait six months to fire that person and make that decision you do it as soon as you realize it's the wrong thing and you just keep building and you keep going and I think what you mentioned is a great example and Hard is always temporary. Always. Hard is always temporary because that conversation happened seven months ago. I'm looking at the calendar. That conversation happened seven months ago when I was so frustrated with my team, but it was bad fits on the team. And if I took the emotion out of it and I took all all the feelings and the panic and the fear and all that stuff out of it, I I would look at the team and say, oh, well, this piece, this team member is adding poison to our culture, which is affecting all these other teams. They're actually good because they have these characteristics and these qualities and they meet our culture, but this is the poison. Okay, mm-hmm. well, let's remove the poison who needed to go hill on their, right? There, there's so many different variables. Yeah. And if you look at it without emotion, it's so much easier because yeah. now we did the root work and it's tough because you hurt some feelings. But if you look at things without emotion and you do the root work, which doesn't mean just, giving someone a tap on the wrist, which is surface level work or not having the conversation and avoiding it entirely. If you get to the root of every single problem, it usually in 30 days resolves itself. And now I can't really say that about my team. I would say every single person on the team, my goodness, they're going to be with me for years. Yeah. And that's seven months that you turned it around. I mean, that's really fast. And that's because you took that fast action. The other thing you do really well is you take the responsibility. So I heard you say like, well, it's because of me. I had bad hiring. I had bad onboarding. I think that's really important because also when you grow a team, it's really easy to just be like, well, everybody's stupid. Like, I don't know. It's like, it's their fault and not take that accountability. But as the CEO, as a business owner, at the end of the day, everything is on you. That's what we've signed up for is like, for me, it's like, you know, anybody on my team could make a decision, could do something wrong. And at the end of the day, it's my reputation. It's my brand and my name. And so I have to take the responsibility of like, what led to that issue that now I have to go back and fix, not blame the person. Sometimes it can be the person but it's highly likely you're going to get in another person and have the same exact issues. It's kind of like relationships, right? We think, oh, if we leave that person, it'll solve all my problems. And then it's like six months later, you're in the same place. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah definitely. 
So I have, I have a question I want to ask because I'm curious about this. We haven't talked about this one-on-one, but I know for me and what I've shared on the podcast is like last year was a rough year, specifically the summer for me in business. And I felt for the first time the most extreme, I guess, not the first time ever, but the most extreme of like the pressure of being the breadwinner of having high payroll. And I, and I talked about it on the podcast directly and I shared that. And I, and I want to also tie it in for people listening who are like, well, I don't have a huge team. I haven't made it to that level. It doesn't matter where you are. Like there's just different level of struggle. And honestly, the struggle is only going to increase and you just build the tolerance to handle that as you grow your business. But the struggle could be, you don't have a thousand dollars to spend on ads next month, but you need to grow your business. And if you don't, it's going to shut down. Like the struggle can be any size, but for me, I think one thing that I didn't realize like naively going into business was I thought once I was successful, I would always be there and I wouldn't go backwards. Like for some reason, I just thought like once I have the seven figure business, like I've made it (laughs) and I didn't think like, well, we could lose money. Like, and now you have the responsibility attached to that and like the economy changes and things change. And so that was a big like slap in the face for me, especially last year is because I felt like, oh my gosh, like I'm doing worse than I was when I started my business. I had more cash then, you know, now I have all these people I have to pay. And it was rough because on top of that, being the business owner and having all these people that count on you, just nobody kind of told me that. Nobody was like, well, save your cash a lot when things are good because they will be bad. It's not if, it's when. <laughs> like you will go through another season. And, and so I feel more prepared for whenever that next one time happens. But last year I wasn't and I was operating off of like, you have to make it to this level and then it's only up from here, which is like so naive. But I'm curious if you've had the same experience slash how you've navigated as you've gotten bigger, like the increased pressure that comes along with that. I know you also have like, big investments you make big moves you make bigger moves than I do and you feel I feel like you have less fear yeah you make big moves you're like I need to generate all this money I'm like oh my god like aren't you stressed those big moves (laughs) caught up to me this year I will say I I was there's some stairs behind me that I've been crying on the past few weeks but but it's just because I am I do prepare for worst case scenario which I didn't do until I started having employees and I started like falling in love with them as friends. Mm -hmm. And then I just, I just thought if anything happens to you because of a a mistake I've made, I will forever regret that. And I never want to live with regret. And so, yeah, yeah, I had, I definitely, uh, so what I do is I basically have, I call it a reserves account and I have six to 12 months of reserves for payroll expenses. So if Mm -hmm. everything, you know, just dies overnight, okay, whatever you're paid and we'll create something new and we'll get cash and I'm fine. But yeah, one of those big, okay. First of all, yes, the response, the emotional part of it, the responsibility, very, 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 very heavy. And I don't think anyone will ever prepare you for the heaviness that is on your chest when you're responsible for people's livelihoods. It is how people pay for their birth experience in a hospital, your health insurance. It's how you can cover maternity leaves. It's how you can cover people's babies' formulas, their food, their groceries, their gas with expenses increasing. And with the world as crazy as it is in this current state still, I think a lot of us had a lot of trauma happen to us over the past two years in life. And Mm -hmm. the security they have is their paycheck. Yeah. (laughs) 
And it's yeah. all on you at the end of and the day. And all you realize you. how fast it can change. That's yep. what I realized is like, when you have a big payroll, even if you have savings, it's like, yep, it could be gone so fast with a couple wrong moves. Yep. I think for me, what I've just realized, and it's like, it needed to happen. It was like, I needed this level of tolerance to be able to move to the next level. Mm-hmm. And I needed to be able to handle that pressure to get to the next level. Cause I'm like, how do these people do it with 500 employees? <laughs> like you have to disassociate from that pressure, yeah. but I, I needed to get through that. And I think now I've kind of like, ex- I've been able to accept the pressure as normal and just know I'm doing, I can just do everything I can. That's all I can do. I can only control what I can control and I can't control outside st- you know, sort standards and like what happens in people, other people's decisions, but I can control my response to it. And I can also be as proactive as possible in like what I think is going to happen versus be naive and be like, well, it'll get better. And it's like, no, sometimes you have to pivot. You have to seriously pivot your business and backup plans. Like, do you have safety nets? You know, for instance, for me, when this construct, so I had a $350,000, well, it's actually a $514,000 construction bill, but over 300,000 of it wasn't covered by a loan. That was, it was supposed to be covered by, but there was some issue some issues we had with uh, the agreement. Anyway, it doesn't matter, but we had that. And so when that happened, that actually cut into my reserves and our profit margins were decreasing at the same time Mm -hmm. because the way our sales work is after 12 months of payment. So the sales we made last year affect this year, basically. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the way it works. And we had a drop eight months in and it affected and I wasn't expecting the drop. So It was three different variables that happened all at once. It was like, whoa. And I wasn't expecting it. And I kind of freaked out a little bit. Well, I looked at, okay, well, what's the worst case scenario of not making payroll, which still would have been a far stretch, but it got closer to where it was like, okay, this is a medium stretch now. And I've never been in this position. So I looked at worst case scenario and okay, well, if reserves go down because I have to use a chunk of reserves for this construction bill. Well, we have, I talked to my financial manager and it's so important when you get to over seven figures, have a financial team, like go to a bank, surround yourself with financial strategists that know Mm -hmm. your money. And it's not just all on you because they will know shortcuts that you don't know. So line of credit, getting a free line of credit to where you can pay payroll on a line of credit and you know that person and you like, you know, your financial strategist is going to be in your corner when it comes to line of credit, Um, being able to get business loans out. Like those kind of things, because when it comes to sales, sales are just numbers. But when you don't look at your sales on a weekly basis and you make risks that a mm-hmm. might not correlate with sales increases, which is the situation I was in because I bought a $1.5 million commercial building and I didn't think about the risk yeah. <laughs> at all. Yeah. And I kind of knew we would be covered, but I didn't think about worst case scenario. I thought about yeah. like medium worst case scenario. Yeah. And it was, it was fine, but yeah. then it wasn't. So yeah. you're so yeah. right. It is a strength of yours to do that. Like to just go into something and take a risk. And a lot of times it's like <laughs> great for you, but it also can put you in, in tough places for sure. I think, yeah. I think a lot of people ignore their numbers, their business numbers. Like I am always blown away by how many people, even successful business owners that have no idea, like what their sales are, what their cost per acquisition for a customer is. And mm-hmm 
you have to know those things and you can't outsource it and just hope that somebody, you know, yes to having a financial team, but then you have to know the numbers and not trust. I've also seen people get in trouble with that where it's like someone's telling them something and then they're like, oh, actually we're out of money. Like there's mm-hmm. nothing. And so knowing your numbers and I sometimes feel like people hide from it because it's like, mm-hmm. I don't want to know my numbers because they're maybe bad. So I'm just going to like put blinders on and just keep going and doing the same thing and hoping that it's going to work. And it's like that never actually plays out. So I feel like being realistic is important too. And even doing that, you know, for me, us visionaries, we can live in that future, but we also have to get real about what's happening right now. I'm curious for you, like how have you handled do you feel like you've gotten better at handling those, like that pressure, that the emotions, like what, what tips do you have for people on like how to separate yourself sometimes from the emotions and the pressure you're feeling so that you can make rational decisions and also not hold back so much. Cause that's another thing is I see people like on a small scale, they won't spend, you know, $2,000 on something. And it's like, but that could make you $10,000 and you're afraid to yes. spend that money. Like, you're on the extreme of like willing to take risk, which is I think a huge reason for your success because you're willing to do that. On the flip side, there's so many entrepreneurs who won't get the loans, who won't get the help, who won't hire the VA, who won't hire the agency. So they stay in the same exact spot for a year, two years, and they're like, why am I not growing? Well, I also think it's because our industry doesn't treat businesses like companies. Absolutely. I was in a a mastermind and – I was talking about my business as if it was a company and and we were all over seven figures. I was like, yeah, well, my company's doing this. Like I view it as a small business yeah, and like a brick and mortar kind of business, like a mom and pop shop. I was like, yeah, what? Yeah. Why? Why? Like you have employees like that. That was mind boggling. And I mean, cool. View your business however you want to view it. It doesn't matter. There's no right or wrong way to view a business, but how you view it is how you treat it. Yeah. And I treat my business like a company because I want it to be an asset that pays me dividends and it becomes mailbox money. Like that's how I want to treat as a company as an asset, not a current lifestyle choice. Yeah. That's my passion. A hundred percent or a hobby, you know, on the side, a side project. Yeah. You can have a six figure hobby. You know, you can be a influencer and love showing your face on Instagram and selling a course on the back end and that be a six figure hobby like business for you and that there's nothing wrong with that either if you're getting the profit you want I think it just depends on your yeah. goals but when you start getting to this level you you have to shift your yeah you have 100%. to or it affects your team and that's not fair you know yeah uh, but wait what was your question again just how do you handle how have you improved and handled like the pressure as you've grown mm. and and you know things going wrong or yeah. feeling like oh my gosh how am I gonna make that expense and and do that? How have you handled separating the emotion and moving through that? Yeah, well, one is a dashboard. I mean, I look at my dashboard daily. So I own six companies now. So I don't just have one dashboard. I have six dashboards. And I, it's great because I think a lot of us, what we do is we have open tabs in our mind, right? Mm -hmm. And dashboards close them so quick. Yeah. Because the number closes them. They're like, oh, well, are we doing good on sales? Well, you look at the dashboard. If you aren't, you will see the exact reason why based on data. And so what we do, yeah. um, so I have four of my companies I'm not the CEO of, I'm the chairman of. Mm-hmm. So Or three. I think it's three, actually, because my real estate, technically, I'm the CEO, but 
I don't really do anything with it. It's just rental money. But so I'm just not going to count that. But anyways, my CEOs, they have their own dashboard. I have a decision tree for them that says, if this number is not hitting this metric, what is your decision tree? What is your, where does your brain need to go in order to strategize the gap? And the gap is the number between the number we want and the number that currently exists. So that's kind of the way we do that. So number one, data, right? Number two, uh, nervous system regulation. This is so important. You know, I think what a lot of people do is they think, oh, this emotion is super uncomfortable. I need to distance myself from it. I need to separate myself from it. And that's a natural response. It's a knee-jerk response because who wants to feel anger, worry, confusion, anxiety, all those things. Those are not fun feelings. Let's be honest, right? But what's great is that our emotions are like a guide. And I think the top CEOs understand how to navigate emotions and let their emotions guide them to the right answer without letting emotions be the reason for the answer. Yeah. You know, so yeah. what that means is let's say you're super anxious. Okay, let's go with a specific example here. I got hit with that 315,000 extra, the construction bill. It's like, crap, that is not safe for me to take out of my reserves. I don't want to do that. And my mind immediately went to anger. My mind immediately went to shame. My mind immediately went to all these things, right? Because I had never made a decision that jeopardized the safety of the business before. Yeah. And that was a big purchase. And yeah. I mean, it, it, well, I don't have to talk about the strategy, the purpose, but the purpose of the purchase. But anyways, it was a big purchase and it's, it's going to pay off. I mean, it's going to turn into a 10, $15 million asset and it's going to house a company I now have stocks in. It's going to turn into an event rental center. It's going to be my office so I can get out of the house. It's a lot of really cool things, but it was a big risk for not getting an immediate return. Whereas yeah. if you think of Facebook ads, you can get immediate return in 30, 45 days, right? Yeah, With your money. Right, right. But if you pay 1.5 million, but you don't see that back for mm-hmm. five, 10 years, well, that's a different story. So you yeah. have to make sure you're in a stable place, which we were, but then we weren't. Anyways, so going back to anxiousness. Okay, well, anxiousness will actually guide you to the actual scenario of what's happening, the actual scenario, not the emotionally mm-hmm. led scenario that you have in your mind. Cause sometimes we like to warp things, uh, which just naturally happens. That's just kind of the way the human brain works. It's not that we warp things. It's just our brain tries to keep us safe, you know, it, view it with a judgment free zone there. Um, but then if we get to why the anxiousness exists, those are the type of things that teach us what to heal, uh, what to listen to, It's almost like a little child that's super anxious and is super stressed out and going, ah, you know, and we just want to look at the child and say, what's, what's going on? You know, what's, what's happening here and just listening and not judging the child, not trying to change its emotion to make you more comfortable. None of that. Mm -hmm. And then it will tell you. So for instance, for my anxiousness, what I realized was, okay, I actually have, I'm actually not in a unsafe position. I'm just on the edge of one. So mm-hmm. just being that close to the edge is what freaks me out. Right. So I'm not falling off a cliff. So, but I'm acting like I'm falling off a cliff. Like my right. actions and behavior and emotions are like, I'm, I'm falling yeah. off a cliff, but I'm not, I'm on the right. edge. Right. So I need to chill the F out. Uh, yeah. And 
get go back to my numbers and see what's actually going on. What's the tangible yeah. situation? And then figuring out what the actual problem is. And the actual problem was decreasing profit margins that were stressing me out, which it was it was a very simple fix. And we fixed that within 30 days. And then which my profit margins were at 18%, went up to like 18%. So that's not even bad. It's just I'm right. used to 50, 60. So a very luxurious challenge. I'm I'm not complaining about that, but when you see a lower number than you're used to and it goes in well, totally, yeah. the red box, because red is under 20% for me, I'm like that's a red box, plus getting hit with the construction bill. Yeah. Yeah. And also I, I, we hung out around that time and you did for a second <laughs> go to like, I have to cancel travel and I have to take this yes. away and I have to take this away. And people do that all the time, right? Like yep. when it's, when it's like, an investment they have to make instead of saying, well, how do I just create the money? Like, how do I just create the money within my business? I was having a conversation with someone recently who was like, I'm just waiting for this investment to be able to run ads and have the right amount of you know money to run ads. So I'm just waiting for this to go through. And I'm like, why can't you just go generate that from your list and your audience and look at it that way. And, and I, I also feel like people do that where it's like we, when we get scared, we go to a place of like scarcity and, and yes. I need to take this away and this is going to be terrible. I need to cut this and cut this and take this away instead of like, okay, if I had to, if I had no choice but to generate this much money in the next 30 days, what would I do? And then can I do that? And that's what you ended up doing. But at first your brain went to like, okay, I got to cut this and cut this and I can't have this. And then you ended up generating the cash through your business and, and yeah. got what you needed. We made half a million in 60 days. That was the goal. And that's what we added. And yeah, which is amazing because you were able to get to that place, which is incredible. So, and, and I want to also note, like for people, when you hear those big numbers, sometimes at least I used to do this of like, well, that doesn't apply to me. This could be like a $2,000 Facebook ad thing. Like big to you is all relative based on where you're at in your business. And so I see a lot of business owners who are at the like six, seven figure stage stunt their growth for a really long time because they're not willing to make those decisions that are, you know, slightly risky or a little bit hard and, and realize like it, you're going to be okay. You, you can invest in that thing and you're holding back your growth by not getting the support or not investing in yeah. ads and generating new leads and sales in your business consistently because you're actually stopping your own growth by staying in that place of like scarcity. It's not going to work out for me. And, and a lot of people do that. Yeah, I think at the beginning of my business, when I had my membership site and I taught people how to get clients, I did an upsell to a one-hour coaching call or a 45-minute coaching call or something, and that money all went to growth. So yeah. that looked like, for me, hiring an assistant because I used cold-free leads at the beginning. But yeah. when I got to paid leads, that strategy went on over right. to paid leads too. So yeah. yes, generating the money, there's a ways you can maximize revenue that I don't think people think about. There are feeder yeah. systems to create. There are, yeah. I mean, your problem is your issue or your challenge right then to generate revenue is to just solve a problem. So mm -hmm. figure out what problem to solve. It's as simple yeah. as that. Yep. And then pay attention to those numbers because numbers don't lie. <laughs> so it's all about numbers. Um, okay. I have one more thing I want to cover in this interview because I want to focus on like recurring profit. You're, that's a lot of people who listen to this, right? We'll have digital products, digital services. And I know because you came over to our agency when things were rougher in terms of like 
ads and conversions iOS last year increased costs like how did that impact the digital side of things and your marketing and the business and how did you guys deal with that I mean it wasn't insane it was just a higher CPA cost I think that our issue was we were with the um not the I still love her. She's a great manager, but I just think we were maybe with the wrong person too a little bit because now being at Hirsch Marketing, it's great to have someone else's eyes on the creative and the copy and creating that and changing up creative often and not having that be on you. And it, it, there's just different things with that when it comes to the iOS updates that made it so much easier. But yeah, we did see a rise in our CPA cost, but I, and I know we've kind of talked about this before uh, briefly, but really it's just changing up your marketing. Yeah. I don't think it was just all, I, I mean, yeah, iOS was a huge hit. Don't get right. me wrong. But just of overall course, saturation and cost increase. But, yeah. Yeah. But I think it's, we have to get smarter at marketing because yeah. I think not just iOS, but the market shifted, like yeah. our entire industry shifted. Right. And honestly, like I can handle iOS. That's just tech stuff that's yeah. strategy stuff but the market shifting you don't have any control over that yeah not near as much as you do with ios right i can hire Hirsch marketing and figure that out you can't outsource the market shifting and yeah. so that was uh something that i have really been focusing on is honest i mean because i was gone for a year when i was pregnant and all that stuff because i was on bed rest in the hospital and stuff so i didn't I was so out of touch when I came back in just a year and I'm kind of spending a lot of time relearning the market and where it's at currently. And Oh my gosh, it's so different. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you did exactly what you should do, which is interview all your customers. And we talked about you up leveled your offer. Like you weren't afraid. Yeah. Like the, the mistake I'm seeing now that a lot of people are making is they're like, well, it worked a year ago. So it should work right now. And I'm not going to mm -mm. change anything. I'm not going to change my offer. I'm not going to change my business. Or they're saying, this was my most successful month a year ago. And I'm trying to replicate that and do the same exact thing. And it's like, you have to be willing to pivot. Yes. And you have to pivot fast. And I think I even messed up middle of last year. Like I pivoted both our offers too. And I should have done it sooner. I was in denial of the fact that like the market shifted and I have to be better and I have to do better now and I need to talk to my audience. And I went through kind of the same process you did around the same time. And I remember us talking about it and you not only did that and listened, but you made the changes fast. And as soon as you realized you were like, okay, tomorrow, this is now our top priority, which is key in, in that. And being open, because there's not a single company that doesn't have to pivot. If You know, yeah, like you're yeah. not... You're not like, okay, I'm successful. I sold something and now forever I'll be successful and I never have to change. Like that just doesn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. The buyer's mind is so different. I know after I FaceTimed Emily, uh, last end of last year and I was telling her about our sales going down and she's like, yeah, well, a lot of people's revenues going down in our industry and buyer habits changed. And what I realized was I didn't even know what the buyer's habits were anymore, but there was a deeper conversation too that Emily brought up, which was about offer. And in our industry, it's all about offer positioning, right? Which is important. Yes. But what Emily brought up was what the offer actually offered and upgrading that because we had done upgrades to our offer, but then didn't even market it. We were marketing the same program without... <laughs> 
but upgrading it, but silently, it was so stupid. Not stupid. I don't want to use that word, but that's kind of how I felt. And then we also did an upgrade after talking to Emily where we, oh yeah, we do the tech for them. That was that upgrade. Yeah, so because did two things. Yeah. one of the biggest changes is that people want things faster. They want more yes. support. They want more handholding. They want more one-on-one. And so both of us went through that with our programs okay. where it's like, more support, more accountability, more handholding, less course material, less training. Whereas like four or five years ago, it was all about the courses. Like I'll yes. buy all these courses, I'll buy all this material. And I think we're just moving in this direction as a society where like pace is getting so fast. I mean, if you think about Amazon and like the overnight deliveries and all the things, mm-hmm. it's like people want things today and as easy as possible with as much support as possible. And that's yeah. kind of the direction that your offer has to go. And if you haven't looked at that in a long time, you're likely missing out on a lot of people who are like, oh, that's too much work or I don't have time for that. Everybody's so busy. We live in like the a fast, fast paced, you know, world, especially online, that it's just increasing the speed and you have to keep up. And what you what we talked about on FaceTime, it really stuck with me because I was thinking I have always, I think I've always had the, for my market, for teaching course of memberships at creators and getting them to like 10K months minimum, right? I feel like I'm the best in the market. I've seen the other products out there. I feel like I'm the best, but was I copyable, you know? And at that point, yeah, someone could go on my program and rip it off. But right now, the way my program is built, you cannot copy the experience and plug it into your own business. It would take years to acquire what I have done and copy it. And I think that's what you said is you can't come into your program that you had. Um, and I forget what it, you I know you changed the name of it, but you can't yeah. go into that program and copy it because the experience is almost unreplicatable. Yeah. And cu- it customized for their business. Yeah. And, and we went through that exact thing too. And it's like, and that's how you stand out. That's how you end up being like, are you the best? When people compare, you know, to other offers similar and they see that it's like, well, this is like way better than anything I could have ever imagined. That should be the goal. And then it's like following that up with the, with the quality, which you do in terms of like actually getting people the results. Yeah. Yeah. People also don't talk about that enough is like, it costs more to lose a customer than acquire one. So you should be focusing on that retention a lot because that will grow your business, especially once you're at that edge of seven figures, it's Mm -hmm. the referrals, it's the reputation for sure. So yes. Well, this was so much fun. I feel like we could talk for like two hours about all this, Definitely. but I want to be respectful of your time. So if you anybody wants to come follow up, I know you have lots of resources and Haley is incredible. Like I just said, she cares so much about the delivery, about the value. She's great to follow on social media. She's way better at stories than I am <laughs> showing behind the scenes and giving such amazing value. So where should everybody go to find you if they want to? Yeah, well, come hang out with me on my podcast. I would love to chat with you over there. It's called the yeah. Recurring Profit Podcast. Uh, so definitely go subscribe over that way. And then also, if you are a course or membership site creator and you're interested in scaling with the automation and self psychology, I have a 26 minute breakdown. It's very visual and kind of step by step and tangible. And you can go to recurringprofit.com slash free. That's the best place to go for that and 26 minutes so it's super easy to watch but a lot of people really like that amazing well thank you thank you so much for your time this was so much fun i'll have to have you back for like a round two at some point yeah (laughs) yay all right thank you thank you
Thanks for listening to the Not For Lazy Marketers podcast. Each episode is brought to you from the trenches of Hirsch Marketing, where our team of industry-leading copywriters, marketing strategists, ads managers, graphic designers, and tech wizards use their unique genius to help our clients profit more and scale faster than they ever dreamed possible. Want to see what happens when we unleash our experts on your brand? Head over to helpmystrategy.com and apply for a free strategy audit with Team Hirsch. No matter where you are in your marketing journey, we have solutions to take you to the next level and beyond. So apply for your call today and discover what marketing magic we can create for you. Thank you.